Homeward is committed to partnering with parents and equipping you with the resources you need to raise your kids to become responsible adults. And Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment company, is proud to partner with Homeward to bring you the following podcast presentation. Get away from me. You will respect my authority. Anybody go to see a psychiatrist or to have his head examined. You ain't got no control. I'm sorry, but I think there's something wrong with me. I'm Jim Burns. You know, it absolutely breaks my heart to hear from parents who discover that their son or daughter is facing any kind of a crisis. Maybe a crisis like cutting or drug and alcohol abuse. We're hearing a lot about eating disorders today, and the crises go on and on. So often, these parents will say to me, we're actually a very close family, and we had no idea something like this could happen to us. Well, the reality is that if you do wind up facing this kind of a situation, you may need to tighten up some issues within your family. Now, there is good news, because help for kids in crisis is a lot closer than you think. During the next half hour, I'll continue my conversation with Mark Gregston. He's the founder and the director of Heartlight Ministries in Texas. Mark has spent the last couple of decades working with kids and families in crisis. And we're going to keep looking at real hope and practical help for parents today on Homeward. Welcome to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns. Mark Gregston with us in a continuing conversation, Help for Kids in Crisis. Mark has written a great book called When Your Teen is Struggling. Real hope and practical help for parents. And boy, do we need that today. Mark is the founder and the executive director of Heartlight Ministries. It's a residential counseling facility for adolescents in crisis. He has more than 30 years' experience in dealing with struggling teens and preteens and probably struggling parents <laughs> along with that. He's the host of a weekly radio program called Heartlight, and he and his wife, Jan, have been married for over 35 years. They have grown children, and they live in Texas. Welcome all the way to California here in our it's studio. good to have a Texan out this side. It yeah. is. Well, today we're talking about kids in crisis, and we're kind of being jovial about it, but the fact of the matter is is that a lot of families, that would be the last word they would think is joy or jovial when it comes to to a family in crisis. When a kid is out of control and kind of acting crazy, parents oftentimes don't know what to do, but you say that there's kind of a story behind the story. It's not just a Band-Aid that you take care of a kid who's cutting. There's something deeper. How do you, as a parent, get to the deeper part? You know, if I would ask you the question, do your parents know everything that has happened to you when you were growing up? You know, and most people go, absolutely not. But what makes you think as a parent that you know everything that's happening to your child? And what people don't realize is that most behavior is goal-oriented. I'm moving toward behavior for a reason. I want something. I'm longing for something. And so there's a side of it that, that when I begin to look at the behavior and say, that's what they've chosen to get something else, I have to back it up. Maybe my child's been abused. Maybe they're having a relationship with a teacher they want to get out of. Maybe they're having a tough time sexually. Maybe they've gone over the edge and they need somebody to pull them back. And what you're seeing is just a symptom. It's like a, it's like the dashboard lights lighting up but it's not the real issue. You know, you see the, that oil light come on in your car. The issue isn't that you have a flashing oil light. The issue is you're out of, well, you've got a problem with the oil. And that's what you want to get to. And so there's, there's that need to spend time developing those relationships with kids in a time when we start moving away from our kids. We're not coaching as much anymore. We're not involved with them. We send them off to other things and have other people teach them. Well, those are really the opportunities that we took advantage of in their elementary school years to connect with them. And now we're disconnecting at a time that they need us the most. That's interesting you say that. And a lot of parents in that situation don't want their kids to experience pain. Right. Yet you say there's great importance of pain. There is. You know, C.S. Lewis made a comment. He says, I don't doubt 
God's desire to want the best for us. I just wonder how painful it's going to be. And there's something about a child learning pain. One, I learn pain that I'll stay away from something that I don't need to be doing. How many times does a child taught? How many times does a child touch a hot stove? And it's usually once. So if I allow them to experience that, it, it keeps them within those boundaries. The other side of it is, is my child needs to be prepared for a world that is spinning out of control and is tough. And if I'm always protecting them, I, I'm doing a good thing in, in moving toward them, but I'm not always doing a great thing in preparing them for a world of rejection and slander and strife and difficulty. And I'm not teaching them how to make good choices if I am protecting them so much that I keep them within a bubble. And so I've got to allow them to go through that pain. And the other thing is, is that pain has an amazing way of motivating a child on to the next thing. And sometimes if I don't ever let them experience pain, then, then they will stay as immature as they are. I mean, kids don't want to get out of bed on their own. They don't want to get up and go to school on their own. They don't want to do those things. I don't want my child to flunk a class. But you know what? My child may need to go through the pain of flunking a class to learn the bigger issue is that they need to be motivated on to the next step of life, and it's going to be painful for them. And you know what's amazing is it's also pain for the parents. One of the things that I read in your book is you said rescuing may make things worse, but a lot of parents want to rescue their kids from having that kind of pain. Oh, it is. I mean, Scripture says if you rescue them once, you're just going to have to rescue them again. Right. You know, and so there's a part of it where I don't want to always be rescuing them. And I want them to pay the price. You know, I want them to feel that that there are consequences for your choices. And I want them to learn that early on. You know, when a child that's six or seven years old begins to realize they're being rejected, and we have those conversations about rejection and picking friends, and, and they learn to share and to do all, if I keep them from doing that, I don't want my child to make choices for the first time in their life when they're in ninth grade and somebody's trying to sexually move toward them, or I have a son that is making his first choice about whether he's going to smoke dope or not. I want to start out early. And so somewhere there's a, there's a, a great need to give my kids the opportunity to learn how, how to engage with other people in hardship and difficulty when they get exposed to things that I don't like and how they can learn how to deal with those things early on. Do the kids have a harder time or do the parents have a harder time with this message? Because the message is right. But I find so many parents are those helicopter parents who are kind of hovering over their kids, even when they get to college. Absolutely. It seems to me that in this generation, because of what's going on culture-wise, like you say, it's spinning out of control. A lot of parents say, I I hear that, but you don't understand my situation. My kid just flunked out of school, or my kid is smoking cigarettes, or my kid is doing drugs, or they've had sex at 15 or whatever it is. What what do you say to the parent who's saying, I'm really struggling with this? It's interesting to me that a third of the people that come to Heartlight are adopted kids. A third of them are homeschooled kids beyond the eighth grade. You know, the other one is Southern Baptist. Now, am I against any of those things? Well, absolutely not. I, I mean, I, not, there, there isn't anything. But there is something unique about those things. It's well-intentioned. Parents are spending time saying, how can I help my child? But what we're seeing is by not preparing them, though, 
And there's a balance between that, maintaining the relationship, protecting them, but also exposing them so they get used to it. We're expecting them to jump into a pool without sticking their toe in first. And and it's a shock to the kid, and no telling what kind of behavior you're going to see at that point. A phrase that I underlined in your book, maturity follows responsibility. You've got to give some kids some responsibility, and if they fail, that's just a part of the learning process is what you're saying. It is, and, and that failure may cause pain. But you know the other thing? It may allow for a deeper relationship to happen because your child begins to learn, my dad loves me even when I do fail. And that is a great concept that gets so often missed with kids that they really feel like they can never fail. They can never make a mistake because they would disappoint mom and dad. And mom and dads moving into the adolescent years have got to let their kids know, you know, you can fail and and we'll still have the relationship. Now, there's still and I'm not one that says, well, throw standards out the door and don't have requirements. I'm going, oh, no, no. Let there be consequences. But let the consequences be for them and not for me. Great, great input. Listen, we'll take a break. We'll come right back. We're talking with Mark Gregston. When Your Teen is Struggling is the book, Real Hope and Practical Help for Parents Today. Great conversation today. And if you've got a teen or a preteen who's struggling, maybe you've got somebody who's even a little older who's struggling, this is a conversation that is so important to us. It's never too early to begin, but it's also never too late as well. And there's some things that maybe we need to tweak within our own parenting or even, frankly, some of our grandparenting so that our kids can be responsible adults. And that really, that is the goal. It's not to raise happy kids, but it's to help them become responsible adults. Mm -hmm. Talk real practical. As we get back, I want to ask questions about when do you know when a kid is actually in trouble and needs to go to a counseling center or a rehab center and, uh, and much, much more. Today on Homeward, parenting and family expert Dr. Jim Burns and his continuing conversation with Mark Gregston, the director of Heartlight Ministries in Texas, talking about help for kids in crisis here on Homeward today. And uh, Roger Marsh here back in the studios at the Homeward Center for Youth and Family on the campus of Azusa Pacific University. Hey, do you dream of completing your college degree? You know, APU offers several on-campus and online accelerated degree completion programs that can be completed in as little as 18 months, with some requiring class only one night a week. And if you'd like to learn more information about a fully accredited online experience that will help you complete your degree. Or if you're in the Southern California area and you want to stop by the APU campus, uh, you can do so as well. All of that information when you click the APU icon at homeward.com. And there's more to come. Do stay with us. Welcome back. I'm Jim Burns. Mark Gregston with us today. Help for Kids in Crisis. Actually, I should say help and hope for kids in crisis because, you know, there is great hope and no family is perfect. And so if you've got a child who's struggling right now, then this conversation is for you. Mark is the author of When Your Teen is Struggling, Real Hope and Practical Help for Parents. He's also the founder and executive director of Heartlight Ministries. It's a residential counseling facility for adolescents in crisis. And he's been working for over 30 years with uh, teens and preteens and their parents who are, who are struggling. This also has a weekly radio program called Heartlight. So it's great to have Mark with us. Mark, one of the things that I wanted to get to was the issue of parents where some parents are actually in denial. Um, how does a parent, when their kid is beginning to spin out of control, how does a parent know if they're either in denial or if it is time to send their kid to, you know, send to them something? off somewhere? Right. You know, and it's a tough decision because most of the time people are in a state of emotional turmoil when you begin to see your child spin out of control. You know, just because they smoke a cigarette doesn't mean they can no longer work at home. 
I think the first step is you make sure that you move into the adolescent years when you have some kind of belief system or a policy and procedure manual that it's just understood this is how we're going to operate the home. But when you begin to see your child make a drastic change of personality, when they, it's not the issue of wearing black. I wear black all the time. It makes my gray stand out a little <laughs> bit more. But there's a part of it where when they can't get out of bed and maybe they're becoming depressed and and I'm pushing and pushing but if they continue in the behavior where will you be in six months so if my child continues this drinking and we've tried all the consequences and we've tried setting up all these contracts and home things and it's not working I cannot allow my child to continue to spin out of control and get to a place where they don't want to be. So you've got to nip it in the bud is what you, you're saying. You really do. And earlier on, I mean, people come to me all the time and with their 17, 18-year-old girls, and they say, is there hope? And I go, you know, there is hope. There's no question. I just feel at times there would have been a lot more hope had we had tackled this thing when they were 14 and 15, when it started to happen, rather than allow those patterns to continue. So now they're thinking in those patterns all the time. I'd rather get it when it's just the actions. Yeah. That I think happening. that's important because a lot of times people will say, you know, my child has done this behavior and it's lousy behavior, and I need to send them immediately to a drug rehab center right. when in fact they haven't done some of the other issues first. Right. And so in some ways there's kind of an A to Z, if you would, in terms of going through the different possibilities. Now at uh, Heartlight, when someone comes to you and says, we're thinking about you know, having our child in here, and, and you know, it's a year-long program, I mean, it's, right. a, it's a whole process, what should they be thinking about in their mind as they decide if they're going to take that amazingly huge step to, to actually move their child out of the house and into another place? Well, and the first thing would be, where is my child going to be if I don't do something? Because failure may be not doing something for a child as opposed to just saying, well, let's just wait this thing out and I think they'll grow out of it. When you see the behavior that's drinking that's out of control, they can't stay away from drugs. They can't quit having sex. They, they're sneaking out continually, even with bars on the doors in, in a security system, and you're not keeping them in. When you see the failing of classes and, it, and they are leaving school, when you see those type of behaviors that they are just not engaging anymore in those normal ways they have, you know, and I go back, the, the issue's not those things. I can tell you 98% of the time there is something else going on, and that's the bigger issue that you've got to get to. Every kid that comes to us at Heartlight, it's not the issues of their behavior that got them there. It's, that's not what we're going to be focusing on. We're going to be focusing on what is behind it that motivated, what motivated by losses or, or needs they have in their life or trauma or difficulties or victimization. Something may be going on. And the number of times that we get kids who have been sexually abused and it finally comes out when they're with us, mom and dad never knew about it, but they saw the craziness of the behavior. Yeah, it's fascinating when you say that because, it, again, it is so much about something else that's going on. Let me take a couple of these behaviors. Let's take the issue of cutting. You know, it seems like 10 years ago, we were never even talking about this. It was there, it was, but it wasn't prevalent. Today, it is so, so prevalent. Many of the kids who probably come to Heartlight have been kids who have, at one time or another, have been cutting themselves. Parents are saying, what on earth is this about? You know, there's a whole scheme of different reasons for cutting. Uh, cutting is mentioned in, in Scripture um, where the man was in the graveyard and he was cutting himself with stones. Uh, it's self-mutilation. It's saying that I'm going to take some something out on myself. But there's 10 different reasons for cutting. One may be show. One may be that, that I want to fit in with a group of people. Another may be that a child says, I am hurting so much and feel 
so numb that it's the only time that I come alive. Or they may say, I cut because it's, I, it takes the pain away from one thing and, and transfers it to another. You know, the, the, the image that I give for a lot of people that don't understand cutting, it's like a young man going up and putting his fist through a wall. It's that type of thing. Because most cutting is, is limited to girls. And you do get it with guys, but it's mostly limited to girls. But it's, it's done for reasons. Somebody says, is it a sign of mental illness? It, it is a sign. But just because they're cutting doesn't mean they're mentally ill. Mentally ill people do that, their self-mutilation. But it, it's not usual that that is the, the main issue. And I think people have to know what the motivation behind the cutting is so you know how to respond. You know, that child that cuts, I'm going to give consequences that you can't do that. That's an inappropriate way of coping with issues. But at the same time, if I have a child that's depressed and having a tough time, one of the worst things I can do is to give consequences. This is where you're going to need to get some help, get some direction to find out what is boiling underneath the cutting. It's a faddish thing, but it's also a sign of something else right. brewing. And very important for our parents to hear this. You know, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, and we've got to make sure that we have the, the counsel around us. Right. I want to talk about something that very seldom we talk about, but some of my friends who work in residential counseling centers or even facilities for rehab would say that a lot of the kids listen to some pretty dark music. Is that your experience? Or? You know, some do, but yeah. I, you know, I'm from Texas and, and they come with us and we don't allow them to listen to some music. They love country. And yeah. uh, it's amazing to me that that, that is just a, a symptom of something else. I mean, they'll get into the rap just like we got into other stuff back in the 70s and 80s. And, and uh, you know, but I, I don't think that's the cause of it with yeah. these kids. Yeah, very good. I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, let's talk about gateway drugs. If we see our kids kind of starting to experiment with and drugs, you know, nicotine is a drug. So if right. we see them starting to you know, go from beer and wine to nicotine, maybe harder alcohol, maybe they're smoking some marijuana, what should we be thinking about? Well, one, the, sc the scariest thing about all of that is that kids can move quickly to the next thing. I mean, we're taking a little girl this next week whose father found a bag of cocaine in her purse. I mean, and it went quick. I mean, because it is so available, when kids are spinning out of control, they don't always follow that gateway lineage, I, I would right, call it, that, sure. okay, I'm going to smoke first and then drink beer and then yeah. move up to wine, that kind of thing. I mean, sometimes it's just whatever's available, they're going to take. And if somebody says, I've got these pills, and prescription drugs are becoming one of the sure. biggest issues in this country, that... They're going to take those things, and so it's going to move to another level quickly, and so it's best that they get on it and that child understand you will not have this behavior within our home. We're not going to do this. And somebody says, well, what do you do then when you start seeing it? You start taking away all the things that you've been giving them for years and years. I think there's a concept where you say a child will continue to do the behavior they're doing until the pain that they get from it is greater than the pleasure they derive from that behavior. And so I want to take things away from them and make them feel uncomfortable. Now, if you have a family that doesn't want to see their child go through pain, you know, that's very difficult. But it's like saying to a child, I, you know, if you, if, if you have any alcohol, if you drink any, I'm going to take the car away for a month. Some mothers come back and say, oh, we can't take the car away for a month. Well, the problem is more with mom than it is mm -hmm. with the child at that point. They've got to feel the consequences. And so somewhere, if those consequences, is, if everything I'm doing is not working, 
then I need to start considering some other options. I've got to get help in this thing. And if it continues that a child will be dead in six months or in a year, then I've got to act and act quickly. And that's what most of the families say that Send Kids does. If my child would have continued, and the kids will even tell you this, if I would have continued, I'd be dead. Mark, thank you so much for being with it's us. It's great to be We've here. got to have you back. You bet. Help for Kids in Crisis has been our theme today on Homeward. And in the closing moments of today's program, I want to leave you with some hope because that's often in short supply if you're dealing with a crisis situation involving one of your children. I'm aware of so many times when kids are moving from dependence to independence that they actually have to go through those experimental years, and sometimes it's just not easy. We live in a sex-saturated culture. It bombards us with messages that to be cool is to get high, have sex, party like crazy, and live in a perpetual state of fun. And you and I both know that's not reality, and sometimes the pursuit of that kind of a lifestyle can lead a really good kid to go in a different direction, crash, and burn. Well, you can't predict whether or not the crisis will hit your home, but you can take steps to reduce the risk. Set parental standards for what kind of behavior you expect from your kids and put them in writing if you need to. Just this last week with one of my daughters, I needed to go through some you know, family rules. She's a great kid. She's not going through the toughest of things like what we talked about with Mark today. But it was important for me to establish some expectations with her. And I want to suggest that you do the same. You know, when I was in graduate school, I spent some time as a chaplain slash counselor in a prison. And I worked with a lot of at-risk prisoners who said that one of the reasons they wound up on the wrong side of the law was the fact that their parents really didn't establish any sort of rules in their home. Now, your job is not to make your kids happy. Your job is to make your kids responsible adults who love God, and you're going to have to establish some rules in the home to do that. Kids need structure to survive and to thrive, so make sure that the standards you set for them are fair but firm, and also encourage positive peer influence. That's a big one. And so many times kids will get in the wrong crowd and they'll go the wrong direction. I like to tell parents that if you want to know what your kids are really like, get to know their friends. Well, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. So this is one of the jobs I think as a parent is to encourage your children to have friends who will build them up instead of bring them down. And it can go a long way toward preventing crisis in the lives of your kids by encouraging them to make those good choices, especially in the friends department. In fact, I would say that if your son or your daughter is going in a different direction, then find help and find hope in a youth group. And sometimes those kids aren't all that excited about going to youth group and they don't want to do it alone. So encourage them. Pay for a camp. Just one time at camp or one time at a youth group really can make the difference in your kids' lives. Not the easy answer, but it is part of the answer. So there is there is great hope. And don't give up because kids who have struggled come back saying, I'm glad I had parents who didn't give up on me. Jim, that is one of the toughest parts of being a parent, though, isn't it? These days, we want that immediate gratification. We're not looking long term. And it's hard when your kids are acting out, when the kids are in crisis mode and mom and dad are looking for solutions. They they need relief right away. And uh, sometimes that relief doesn't come for years. But we encourage uh, every parent who's listening to us right now to not give up, to be in this for the long haul. Take advantage of the resources that you can get a hold of at Homeward. We've got articles and tip sheets in our articles and media section. You can sign up for our daily online devotional that'll give you a nugget of encouragement, a Bible verse every day from Dr. Jim Burns and the staff here at Homeward. And also, Jim, our, in addition to our long-form program here, the Daily Half Hour, we also have a 60-second short feature. Got an email from Wayne, who's a listener who likes those short features, the Homeward Snapshots. He said, Dr. Jim Burns and the staff at Homeward, thanks for the Homeward Snapshots. Don't ever stop making them. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're grateful, Wayne, and we know that there are hundreds of stations all across the country as well as people online who listen to the 60-second short feature, The Homeward Snapshot, every day. We do a 60-second daily commentary in 900 communities, and I appreciate them making that kind of a remark. Every time we get a call or an email like this one, Roger, I am truly humbled at the many different ways that Homeward is encouraging parents and building families. I sometimes forget about the one minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm so consumed with this particular program, and yet it's changing people's lives. What one minute can do is, is pretty amazing. Well, I also want to thank you for your prayers, and I want to thank you for your financial support to help make that possible. We are reaching out to a lot of people every day, and I want to thank you again for praying for us. And if you are a partner with us financially or you would like to be a partner with us, then this would be a very good time to send in a gift, large or small. It's a blessing to thousands of families. You can make a donation online when you go to homeward.com, or you can write to Homeward at Post Office Box 1600, San Juan Capistrano, California, 92693. Now, until next time, I'm Jim Burns, and I appreciate you tuning in today to Homeward. Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University.